When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We have Sadie and John Paul taking your calls this morning. If there's anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. 1850-333-103 and you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and of course you can always email the programme any time of the day or night to Patricia at c103.ie and thank you to Philip in Clonakilty who sent me a quick email to remind me that today is the great Paddy O'Brien. It is his birthday today and he is 82 and I'm sure Paddy won't mind me mentioning his age. He is a terrific man. So Paddy if you're listening to us this morning can we wish you the happiest of birthdays and Philip in his email saying how so many people are missing the over 60s talent competition because obviously like all of the other events that had to be cancelled Paddy had to take that decision to cancel the over 60s talent competition which would be uh, which would be would it be over at this stage? It would, it would it would have been well over I imagine at this stage but it was always a fantastic event and people loved going along to, and, and they will do again in the future I promise you that because uh, when all of this pandemic comes down and life gets back to normal I guarantee you Paddy O'Brien and the crew will be back out rocking the over 60s talent competition so to Paddy O'Brien happy birthday to you and may we wish you many many more and I also had an email in asking me to give a quick mention to Liscarroll National School and to wish them the best of luck because they are in a competition and they're in with the chance of winning a thousand euro worth of sports equipment. How do they win it? It's by a public online vote. It's at the schoolfitness.com website and you simply go on to the schoolfitness.com website website and you can vote for Liscarroll National School and when we looked into it yesterday we discovered that Dromore National School near Bantry is also in for the very same competition so we're encouraging people in North Cork to vote for Liscarroll Liscarroll National School and for people down west to vote for Dromore National School and you can vote on the www.schoolfitness.com you can vote every 24 hours between now and next Tuesday the 20th or Tuesday week, the 22nd of September. So good luck to both schools involved in there in the schoolfitness.com uh, competition. Now, uh, there's... It's an ad actually. It's one of these ads that have been taken out in the papers, one of the public health advice ads that they take out 
all of the p- papers are carrying them. They're like full one page ad and it basically gives out some kind of new uh, COVID-19 advice. If there's new restrictions in place, it'll highlight the restrictions, etc. As we were going through the different phases, there would be pay- every day in the paper, there'd be a, a different ad about where we are with the phase and what was able to open and what was still uh, was going to remain closed. But today I noted with interest that there's a map of Ireland on these one page uh, ads and it is just looking at how COVID-19 has affected all of the different counties around uh, the country and you know talking about how we are now in this country learning to live with uh, the virus and they speak about how the infection rate though unfortunately is increasing uh, again uh, particularly in Dublin and in Limerick so I quickly looked down through the list of counties to see how are we doing in Cork where are we on the list and it's one of those lists where you don't want to be at the top you don't want to be anywhere near the in the top 10 you want to be as close to the bottom as you can be and would you believe we here in Cork were third last in this list of counties in Ireland for our number of coronavirus cases. So that is such terrific good news. If you take a look at this, at the list in Cork, they rate how this list is rated is by the number of COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people in the county. And we here in Cork, just over seven per 100,000. When you look at Dublin, they have close to 68 cases per 100,000. Limerick, just over 63. Kildare at 61. Uh, Leitrim is, is at nearly 50 per 100,000. Offaly is at 46 in Manor, where the trend is going downwards for Cork, which again is good news uh, for us, but certainly very, very worrying news for Dublin and for Limerick. But we'll, we will take the good news for us here in Cork. And that's no reason, of course, for any of us to be complacent. But I think what it shows more than anything, what we're doing here in Cork, we need to continue doing and if we continue to do it then hopefully that trend will continue to go downwards as as it is and we certainly won't be creeping up the list of counties with a high number of COVID-19 uh, cases and a lot of the papers today are picking up on what's going to be a new COVID-19 alert system that will allow the government to introduce local lockdowns and it will be based on the level of coronavirus in a particular county or in a particular region. Now, we're told it's going to be a soon-to-be-published plan for living with the virus. Now, this is something that the government have been talking about. I think it's, a, it's for the next nine months they are expected to release this uh, plan. And it will give five levels of restrictions, with one representing the least severe and five then will be the most severe restrictions they can put in in any given re- region. Restrictions will be imposed... It will depend on various factors, but the key criteria will be the amount of new cases per 100,000 people over a two week period. Exactly the figures that I've just been calling out. So if we stick with that very low number per 100,000 over a two week period, then it means that we here in Cork wouldn't have any restrictions imposed. But obviously if Dublin and Limerick and Kildare and Leitrim and Offaly continue going the way they're going, then they would fall in under this new alert system and they would have various restrictions imposed. Incidents of community transmission and the number of people hospitalised in a region, obviously they're also going to factor in as well. Counties will be able to move up and down the new levels which will be set out by the government's what's called me 
medium term plan for recovery and resilience. This is what I'm assuming is going to be this plan for the next nine months and it's expected to be published sometime next week. The Thornishta and the Taoiseach have both sought to allay fears over the possibility of lockdowns being imposed in Dublin and uh, in Limerick where cases of the virus have spiked. There was another 84 confirmed uh, cases uh, yesterday of which 51 of them were in uh, Dublin and of course for the first time in many, many weeks we unfortunately were reporting three deaths this week. So that's certainly, we were getting used to hearing of no deaths, no deaths, no deaths and then three were reported uh, yesterday. Philip Nolan is the chair of the National Public Health Emergency Team. He said infections in Dublin are now growing by almost 5% per day. He says if this is to continue, the number of cases would double every 14 days. He said given that Dublin's large population, it was essentially said that there would be no further spread of the virus. And certainly there was a lot of talk. We certainly had a lot of people here on this programme yesterday saying bring in a lockdown in Dublin, bring in a lockdown in Limerick. People could not understand with rising numbers why they weren't bringing in a lockdown. But certainly uh, yesterday, I think there was a sense of panic going on in Dublin that they could come come under any kind of a lockdown. So I think that's why both the Taoiseach and the Taunashta came out yesterday trying to allay the fears of a possible lockdown. So certainly a lockdown at the moment is not on the cards uh, for Dublin or for Limerick. And the children are back in schools and it is an issue we're going to be addressing today that if your child is going to a school and you find out via the school either a text message or an email or I I take it they're not sending notes home anymore with the children in the school bag but it is communicated to you that there has been a case of COVID-19 in the school but you've nothing to worry about. Do you start to worry? Would you like more information? We know, for example, at the weekend there was an email sent out to pupils of one Cork Primary School. It was the first Cork Primary School to have a case of COVID-19. And some of the parents attending that school said they would have liked more information. You know, people were saying that they would like to know what class was involved, how many children had been told to uh, isolate. Was it a pupil? Was it a teacher? Uh, and that kind of information is not being, being given out. And some parents are now starting to say from schools where there hasn't been any COVID-19 cases that they would prefer to know more information. So we're going to be talking around that. I would be interested in your thoughts. If you have children at school, would you like to have more information or do you think that it's only right and proper that the person who gets the COVID-19, that their their privacy is is protected? Uh, Or would you prefer to know if your child was in the class with the child with the COVID-19 but that your child is okay because they they would have been sitting nowhere near for example the child I'm assuming they're basing it their close contacts on things uh, like that and we've for about 10 days now we've had the schools reopened there's 4,000 schools have reopened and in that 10 days there has been 54 cases identified according to the public health official. Now in only one school has an additional case been identified and in most incidents the case has been attributed to infection in the community and that was from the briefing from Neffet yesterday. So the children they reckon didn't pick up the COVID-19 in the school, they picked it up out in the community. But we've had 54 cases 
in total out in the 10 days out of the 4,000 schools that reopened. And really before the children went back to school, Neffert was saying that and the health experts were saying that, that we absolutely were going to expect outbreaks in schools but there certainly hasn't been any clusters and we haven't heard of any school having to close. Some schools take the line that if a child in a class gets COVID-19 then the whole class is sent home but other schools are handling it uh, differently and I don't know if that leads to anxiousness with some parents. Would everybody prefer that we follow the one roadmap, the one set of guidelines for schools, either the whole class goes home are just the children that were in the pod with that uh, child? At what stage do we get to that the whole school would have to close down? You know, how many would have to be in a cluster before a school would close down? And then if a school was to close down, for how many weeks would the school uh, close down? I think we need, I think parents are demanding more information like that just to allay their fears so that when they send their child to school, that they feel confident that everything has been done. But I have to say, certainly for many schools we've been dealing with and hearing from inside in schools, they really are bringing their A game and they really are doing everything that they can to protect the pupils while they're in school. And pupils themselves seem to be reacting really well. But certainly uh, over the last couple of days on this programme, we are hearing about before children go into school and after children come out of school, very, very hard to keep teenagers apart. Again, I came across groups of countless groups of teenagers yesterday social distancing now I know they were outdoors and they say they're safe for outdoors but social distancing certainly wasn't the order of the day and none of them had masks on and these were all of the all of the young people the young teenagers who were walking home from uh, school and the government by the way is also set to significantly ease travel restrictions for people flying in out of Ireland they're hoping it will adopt a new traffic light system for international travel we have this existing green list system that's expected to be ditched and I know travel agents and Ryanair would be pleased to hear that. They're going to get rid of the green list and instead they're going to adopt a plan for European travel and this is one that's been proposed by the European Commission. It's a traffic light system. It sees countries rated this is where it gets a bit confusing. Green, orange, red. And then there's also what's called the grey uh, area. And it, it it's all tied in with 14-day incident rates of the virus. People will be free to travel between member states as long as the number of new cases in the country is equal to less than 50 per 100,000 people over the last 14-day period. Every country will, of course, be be free to set up their own regulations, but the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control, they're producing a weekly map where every region and every country's status will then be indicated either green, orange, red or grey. Anyone travelling from the red or the grey country would be required to either quarantine or to undergo a COVID-19 test on arrival. Anyone travelling from the orange list countries would be asked to take a test either before departure on arrival. And many states uh, could require people arriving from an area classified as red, orange or grey to fill out the passenger location forms. They're the ones that operate in this country. And then travellers obviously with an essential function or need I mean workers who are doing critical occupations um, the, the students journalists performing their duties is also on the list they won't be required to undergo quarantine and the commission's proposals are being discussed at the highest
lowest level uh, by the Irish government. So it does look like we're going to ditch the green list that we have and instead we'll look to the EU and we'll take on board their European travel proposal instead. And that will obviously come as a little bit of good news for the travel agents. I saw the travel agents were protesting yesterday outside Dáil Air and we also yesterday were hearing about Ryanair threatening to pull out a cork and Shannon if the green if Ireland didn't get rid of the green list so it does look like the green list w- uh, will go but then I think it'll be up to individuals themselves whether they feel confident enough about uh, travelling and then a lot of businesses and a lot of companies are saying to their workforce, well, if you do decide to travel when you come back, a lot of businesses are saying to their workers, you're going to have to self-isolate for two weeks and you're going to have to do it unpaid. And I think that sort of has stopped a lot of people who may have been considering travelling because obviously you know, there are a few people can afford to come back and not work for two weeks. Uh, they might like the two weeks off, but to get the two weeks unpaid. So I think that stopped a lot of people from travelling. But there are... And I'm very conscious and aware of people who have family and loved ones living overseas, even just across the water in England. There's very few of us, I think, that don't have family members living somewhere in the uh, United Kingdom. And, you know, the summertime would always be the time where family members would come home on holidays. So for a lot of families, they may not have seen loved ones now for over a year, because some people might only travel over for maybe two weeks in the summer, or maybe people would go over to England themselves to see family members. So I'm very conscious of people who are missing out on sons and daughters and parents and grandchildren and not not getting to see them. And of course, the next big travel period uh, would be Christmas. And people are already starting to say, how different is Christmas going to look this year? Will people be able to travel over the Christmas period or not? So let's wait and see what comes out from the government who are, who are as I say, we're hearing that they're discussing this at the very highest level, getting rid of our green list and instead adopting a plan for European travel proposals by the EU Commission. We will watch that with interest. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 Mentioned that we've been getting calls in and I certainly have seen it myself. Groups of teenagers after school doing what teenagers do, all hanging out together and all, you know, walking home from school and there seems to be large groups of them and social distancing seems to be out the door and certainly they're not wearing masks but they are outside where they're not expected to wear masks and in fairness most of them have been wearing masks all day inside in the classroom so you can understand why as soon as they get out of school the masks are gone. Leem says it's not just teenagers Patricia I've seen parents and adults uh, meeting up in groups. Shops need to put up big signs telling people uh, to not to be hanging out together and stopping to have a chat. People are flouting some of the laws uh, Liam says remember the virus isn't going away and it certainly isn't and actually groups congregating together. There there were 487 open outbreaks of COVID-19 related to private houses in Ireland and they were the latest figures coming from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre. The second highest number of outbreaks relates to workplaces where there was 39 but that's a huge difference between the number of outbreak in private homes and that's either groups congregating together as families, holding you know, parties, having dinner parties, house parties or just really families just getting together in large numbers 
numbers and it's that's a, it's quite a frightening figure to, see, to think that there's been that many outbreaks and clusters uh, related to families 487 uh, so Liam you are so right the virus certainly hasn't gone away 1850 333 103 and Joan it's anybody interested in your views on what Joan has highlighted this morning. Is this the issue of hairdressers? God, do you remember the time when we couldn't wait for the hairdressers to open and then there was the frantic rush to see could you get an appointment with your favourite hairdresser and thankfully that's all behind us now and we want that to remain behind us because nobody wants a lockdown where the likes of hairdressers say could close down again. Anyway, Joan wants to have a little bit of a rant about hairdressers this morning. She says hairdressers, there are no price lists up when you go to the hair uh, dresser and so therefore you never know how much your hair is going to cost until you're finished and then they charge you the price. I feel this is very unfair on the customers. I really think there should be a price list uh, up and I hadn't thought about that but yes there is I go to one hairdresser and one hairdresser uh, only and she's a very good friend of mine and I always know how much I'm going to be charged and she was one of the hairdressers that didn't put any price increase even though Going back into business came with additional costs, but she didn't put up any any additional price, um, which I was very proud of her for doing for doing that. But we know with other businesses, with other hairdressers, they did increase prices, and they said they had to. They had no choice. The cost of doing business was more expensive when they reopened after the after the lockdown. But I'm just thinking of any any other hairdresser over the years that I've been in. Have they? There's no obviously no rule stating that they have to have a price list up because I know when you go into a beautician there will always be a price list up and there has to be the list has to be up in pubs for how much a drink is etc but obviously there isn't a ruling around hairdressers the only thing I would say to you Joan is to ask in advance how much is your hair going to cost because you don't want anything uh, anything you sit down and get your hair done and then you get a bit of a shock at the end to, to discover how much it was so I would say to you to check it out but I think if you go to a hairdresser regularly and you're regularly getting your hair done then you are going to know obviously uh, the cost because it doesn't it doesn't keep going up that much but that would be my suggestion if you don't go to hairdressers that often and when you do go you're a bit worried about the charge of it then you are well within your rights to ask for ask in advance 1850 333 103 lines open for today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 now a West Cork mum of two with a third baby on the way has set up an online petition calling on the government and the HSC to relax restrictions on fathers and partners being present with a woman during her antenatal appointments and labour, especially in light of the current relaxation of other restrictions in society. Caroline Common joins me to discuss how our petition is uh, going. Good morning to you, Caroline. Morning, Patricia. Thanks you, for having me. Well, on. you're welcome. And firstly, congratulations to you on <laughs> baby you. number three. When is, ba- <laughs> when is baby due? Uh, June, February. In February, okay. So did you go all over Christmas and all of that? And everything, pregnancy going okay? Everything all right? Going great so far, thank you, yes. Okay, well, well done. Congratulations. Now, from Monday week, you and your partner could go to the local pub for a drink, yet he can't join you for an antenatal appointment or indeed when you start labour, he can't be in with you at the early stages. Um, What type of distress is that causing to pregnant women? Oh, Patricia, I've just heard so many heartbreaking stories from women who've either, who have either lived it already or who are about to. And um, I mean, as you say, I'm, I'm going in the third time, so maybe I'm a little bit less anxious. But, but that is definitely adding another level of, um, of fear uh, to, to these experiences, which really should be 
should be happy and, and memorable experiences. You know, there's um, it's it's very overwhelming thing to go in there, and uh, that's when things are going well. You know, I, I can't even imagine what it's like not to have your partner with you when when you receive bad news or if uh, if there's complications. So, yeah, it's definitely just adding a level of distress, which which you know may have been understandable back six months ago when we needed such strict restrictions. But at this stage, six months down the line, it just seems very extreme. Now, you you're obviously able to compare. How how Absolutely. different how different is this pregnancy to the first two when it comes to all of those hospital appointments? Yeah, well, I suppose I haven't I haven't got to the too many of them yet. I, I'm I've got my twenty week scan coming up in a few weeks' time, but um, you know, yeah, you just don't look forward to anything as much. And as you say, I've 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 had two babies and I've had two very very positive experiences, and I, and I can't speak highly enough of the the staff and the CUMH and the level of care I've always received. Um, but that was with my partner, you know, right there by my side for the whole thing. And, and going into this, you know, if I were to be induced, I was with my first baby, um, I would be really afraid, you know, to go in there and have that whole process start without him. And at the moment, the restriction is that I would have to be in established labor for him to come and join me. And, you know, I don't know who makes that call. Um, you know, you need someone there right from the start, in my opinion. And was your partner very supportive on when you were in labor? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have done it without him. My second baby was a very, very quick 90-minute labor from Wait. start to finish. And he he got me to the hospital, well, got me to the ambulance in time. And I was, you know, it was quite a dramatic delivery. So I wouldn't have coped without him there for that, all of that. And do you believe dads are also missing out on uh, on the bonding time? Because I believe after baby is born, dad yeah. has to leave the hospital. Is it within an hour? Uh, that's that's what it says, yeah. And, um, and then... It is slightly different across the country in different maternity units, but in, in Cork, certainly, they're not allowed to visit at all. Nobody is until you're discharged. So, yeah, I think they're missing out hugely, So, and, and particularly first-time dads. My heart really goes out to them. It's, you know, it's an experience they should be there for the whole thing, and they should be they should be there with the women having those, those first few days of bonding and, you know, in that little bubble. Uh, but um, And all yeah. those glorious photographs yeah. that people take and all, and yeah. all of that. Now, yeah. tell me about the reaction you're getting to your online petition. Uh, online petition. Oh, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I started it on Saturday night following on from a very similar petition that's been going around in the UK. It's, it's under the hashtag, but not maternity. And, and I don't know how long it's been going on there, but it was reaching sort of 300,000 signatures. And I signed it and then realized, well, this is not actually going to affect me here in Ireland. So I started one, as I say, on Saturday night. It, by, by Monday, it was up to 20,000 signatures. We're at about, we're just under 24,000 at the moment. And it's growing, you know, by the day. It just shows how many people this has affected and how many people feel very strongly about this. And it's my.uplift.ie, isn't it? It's, it's, right. on, it's on that Uplift, platform. Uplift.ie, yes. Sure. And it's um, lift restrictions on maternity care. Stay there, Caroline, because yeah. I want to bring in uh, West Cork Social Democrat TD, uh, Holly Kearns, who is on the other line. Good morning to you, Holly. Morning, Patricia. Uh, Holly, you're hearing from pregnant women. What, what, what are, they, are they very upset by these restrictions? Absolutely. So new mums, expecting mums and their partners are understandably so angry and upset about ongoing visiting restrictions. Um, it seems that some maternity hospitals in Dublin have eased restrictions, yet elsewhere it's the complete opposite. Uh, Caroline mentioned CUMH there. Um, and in that instance, women are alone until they're in active labour. So, for example, I spoke to a woman yesterday who was in labour for 23 hours on her own without any support from a loved one. Um, and obviously, I know and all of the women that I've been talking to know that public health is the priority as it should be. But it's really difficult for people to understand 
why you're allowed to attend a wedding with 49 other people, but in some instances you can't attend a prenatal scan with your partner, most of their labour, or be with them after the birth of your baby. And one of the other really confusing aspects of it is that there's a disparity of restrictions between hospitals. So it seems like a geographic lottery as to whether you can have a loved one with you to support you or not, which is really confusing and frustrating. So the restrictions in hospitals were introduced six months ago. And needless to say, since then, we've seen in so many other sectors and areas, restrictions in general society have been reviewed, revised and eased. So why haven't these ones? Like even just to have a review done um, so they can kind of be clear about why, if this is the case. Because yeah, at the moment it's just confusing, the and, inconsistency. And as Caroline herself said, you know, six months ago, I mean, everybody agreed with the restrictions because nobody knew where we were going and there was a lot of cases of, of COVID-19. But as you say, it's a very different picture today, particularly here in Cork. I mean, I was only at the start of the programme talking about the low rate per 100,000. You know, we're third in the bottom of the list of all of the counties around the country. Dublin exactly. are seeing an increase and yet they can ease the restrictions in their maternity hospitals. That's not making sense. It doesn't add up to a lot of people, absolutely, Patricia. And just to give you some idea about the kind of situations that have caused this level of outrage amongst people, um, the day before yesterday I was talking to a woman who had to go through an emergency C-section. So she went through the entire labour and birth and five days in hospital alone and hasn't had any follow-up care whatsoever. So her husband met the baby when she was discharged And it just so happens, just to compare to maybe other situations that make people feel even more confused about the situation, her husband just so happened to have a surgery before her and still has follow-up care, including calls during lockdown, an in-person check-in in May. And when he was in hospital, when she was heavily pregnant, she was asked to bring him in snacks and PJs. So from her perspective, she's thinking... Why is this so different for me and why did I get through? You know, C-section is a major surgery. And being obviously in labour is alone is hard enough when everything goes well, but it's even more awful when there are complications. So I'm hearing, also hearing stories of people who are receiving really bad news and having to call their partner who's sitting in the car in the car park outside. And it's just heartbreaking. Nobody should have to be alone at a time like this unless absolutely necessary. And if it is, we need to see what makes that necessary. Like... It needs to be revised. And I think part of the issue here is that if you're an expecting mum or a new mum, you're not necessarily sort of organising your lobby group in the same way that other parts of society are. So, you know, we know that there's pressure like constantly on the government from sporting industries, the hospitality sector, and, and you know, rightly so. But women don't have that same voice or um, organised lobby in this situation yeah, so it's really yeah. important that we all speak out for them That's a good um, point That's a good point you know? and there are really highly heartbreaking stories of women who have lost uh, babies women who miscarry babies and then having to go into hospital for the, the procedure that's needed following a yeah. miscarriage and, and going in on their own Being on their own Yeah and I, ma- I did manage to raise this in the doll yesterday Patricia I put it in as a top collision it was selected um, which I was really glad. Um, but like as a response, um, I got kind of a list of the different types of restrictions in the hospital. They were called out, which is exactly the type of confusion and inequity I was talking about. No one has an issue with restricting visitors, but we're speaking about partners or just one family member or friend being allowed to accompany a new mother through labour. And I think the minister's kind of focus on vulnerability of babies and new mums was condescending because all of the women who contact me understand the situation and the importance of some restrictions. Um, of course, they want to prioritise the health of babies in wards and 
and mums perhaps with underlying health conditions, what they don't understand is the inconsistencies and the different standards um, and the fact that there hasn't been a revision of these restrictions like there has in other parts of society. Yeah, and, um, and Caroline, you're not asking for the hospitals to be, you know, thrown open and all come one, come all visitors. I mean, you're literally only saying let the dads be allowed in. Absolutely, Patricia. Yeah, I'm, I'm a healthcare worker myself. I'm a physiotherapist. I'm, I'm working in very close contact with my patients and I, I take the guidelines on infection control and PPE very seriously. So, yeah, I want to be clear. Nobody is asking for us to abandon health and safety measures. Um, and as Holly said, it's, it's quite condescending to even suggest that because we're the ones in the hospital. We're the ones giving birth to new babies. We want them to be safe. We want to be safe. We want the people caring for us to be safe. So what we're really just saying is, as you say, to not consider the partner or the husband or the new father to be considered as a general visitor. We don't want to open up the wards to, to huge numbers of visitors at all. We just want that, that one person there to support us. And actually, on, on what Holly raised in the doll yesterday, um, you know, there was a very valid point made about how devastating an outbreak in a maternity hospital would be, given the level of um, special skills that the maternity hospital staff offer. And, you know, no, no no one person who signed this petition would agree more that, you know, nobody wants that. Um, but, but what wasn't really mentioned around that was that, you know, these staff who work in the hospitals don't live in a bubble. They, they leave work, they pick their children up from school, they go yeah. to restaurants and, and, and shops and they go on buses. So they're exposed to the same level of risk as the rest of us. And, and you know, given that, I just can't accept that a, a partner sitting next to you who's been through thorough screening, who's been tested if necessary, who is wearing PPE, who's sanitizing, you know, that he poses any greater risk than the mum herself to the staff. And uh, I think there was just a very sort of blanket no response yesterday that it's not safe. But we just want the question to be considered, how can we make it safe for partners yeah, to be there? that's it. That's yeah. it. If they're saying it can't, it's not safe, well then what do we need to do uh, yeah. to make it safe? Yeah. And, and Holly, if they're managing to ease restrictions in Dublin, but not doing the same down here in CUMH, is that individual managements of hospitals make those decisions? That's what I understand. So since raising the issue in the Dáil yesterday and not really getting what I would call a response, it was like a, a red-out, pre-written kind of statement rather than a response I followed up with the Minister for Health and that is what he told me that it is kind of up to the individual hospitals um, and uh, you know I made the comparison not comparing the two things but I was saying there isn't like individual like we don't leave it up to individual pubs and I'm not comparing the two things but of course there's a role to be played here in reviewing and revising the restrictions anyway um, like for, to understand why there might be different restrictions from one hospital to another. Um, he's, he's assured me that now he will look at reviewing the restrictions and will address it, and I'll do everything I can to ensure that happens. But I encourage everybody who's listening, because like I said, there isn't necessarily that organised lobby in this group in society, to please, like, you know, email your local TD, sign Caroline's petition. I have it up on my Facebook page. Um, just sometimes when people don't have a voice, it's important to try and speak up for them. So I'd encourage everybody to sign the petition, um, email local TDs, the Minister for Health, anything you think that might help. Okay, and keep us informed on, on how you get on from a, a doll point of view. Um, Holly, okay. thank you for that. Uh, Caroline, continue to enjoy your pregnancy. <laughs> thank you. <I> <laughs> <that>. <laughs> and, stay, and stay safe, okay, and thanks, thanks for joining so us. Good morning to you both. Uh, bye-bye, thanks Caroline. Bye-bye, Caroline Cumming, who is a pregnant mum in West Cork and also West Cork doll deputy, Holly Kearns, and it is, you can go 
go and sign Caroline's uh, petition if you would like to see maternity services and the lifting of restrictions on uh, maternity uh, care. It's uh, uplift.ie and it's lift restrictions on maternity care. As I say, I have been hearing some really heartbreaking uh, stories have come out. I mean, as Caroline says, you know, it's all great when everything is okay and it can still be tough. On the, and on the, the first mums, I think it's it's harder because it's all new and it's all the fear factor involved. But when everything is going okay with the pregnancy, you know, that can, you know, it can be tough to be going to all your antenatal appointments on your own but it's when things go wrong and there has been really some dreadful stories told about you know, women who have unfortunately lost their babies through miscarriages and getting that news on their own and then trying to get the dad. I heard of one dad, you know, frantically out in the car park trying to find a parking space so that he could go in to support his wife who had just received this uh, devastating news. It really, really can be uh, so, so tough. Your thoughts and comments uh, welcomed. Do we need to? Would you agree with Caroline and Holly that we do need to ease the restrictions? We're easing the restrictions on other parts of society. Why are we still making it so tough on mums when they go to have their babies in the hospital by not allowing the dads to go to any of the antenatal scans and they're only allowed in when a woman is in active labour and I still don't know how that actually works out from the hospital point of view when they make the decision okay it's all right now for dad to come in then once baby is born dad is allowed to stay in the room for one hour then must leave and can't go back into the hospital until it's time to collect mum and baby. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. This is Court Today. Court Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Last week on the programme, we received the following text. Uh, What are your listeners' opinions on the Bishop of Cork and Ross's rule on communion ceremonies? He has ruled that only the First Holy Communion child and the parents are allowed to attend. What does he think parents are to do with their other children? Leave them in the car outside the chapel gates? Why can't it be one pew per family or per household. We don't have anyone to mind our children. And I think this is shameful treatment of families by our church leaders. Thanking you. And that came in from Eileen in Clonakilty. Now, I was off last week, but John Paul said that when he read out the text, he got calls and texts in from various parts of the city and county saying it's the same in our church. It's the rules that are in place. Uh, Some people were very understanding of it, but others were very annoyed and very upset about the idea, particularly grandparents who say that they wanted to be in the church to witness their grandchild receiving their first Holy Communion. Father Tom Hayes is parish priest in Enniskeen and he joins me to outline the reasons behind these uh, restrictions. Good morning to you Father Tom. Good morning. And and you are welcome. I mean firstly we need to point out and and I know in your email to us you're at pains to point out that the new regulations on, on attending all religious ceremonies were not set by any one bishop or indeed anyone in the church. They're set by the government. Yes basically because, as you know, and as your listeners will know, our churches were closed for a couple of months. Then uh, they were allowed to be reopened initially just for private prayer, and it took a while before we got permission to reopen the churches for Mass. The conditions which were imposed under which we could reopen the church for Mass are pretty strict. In fact, they're very strict. So we have to have sanitizing in place, we have to have stewarding in place, 
We have to have social distancing in place. And the numbers that we can gather vary quite a bit from church to church. But there's a lot of detail in that. And to be fair, the parishioners in a lot of the parishes are working really hard with the priests to ensure that we can keep going the level of service and the level of mass attendance that we are managing. But on a typical Sunday at the moment, most of our churches, the capacity is well below a third. Because at least half of the pews are cordoned off. And then the pews that are available, people have to still sit in those with social distancing as well. So, for example... I can very well understand about, you know, the feeling of parents and families and grandparents around the enormous change that's going on in this. It's terrible. It's really tough. I've also, and all of my colleagues have ministered at funerals where the restrictions are in place. We've done weddings with only a handful of people in front of us. We've done baptisms with a handful of people in front of us. It's the opposite of what we've been used to for all church ceremonies which are usually a place of joy, there's a welcome and celebration. Yeah, and I think perhaps the toughest of them all, uh, Father Tom, and you'll probably agree with me, are the funerals. Absolutely. There's no doubt in the world about it. One of the good things that we have done as an Irish society down through the years is we've been brilliant at supporting families at a time of grief. The government and the health authorities and the virus are telling us now that we have to stay back from people. It's just the opposite of our instinct. You know, we want to dive in and support people and shake their hands and give people a hug. So these are all kind of against our instinct. And it's the same with the other ceremonies and with the weddings and the christenings and the first communities and confirmations that are going on at the minute. So they're very different. And I can understand people's pain and upset. But on the one hand, the regulations we have to follow, the government regulations, we have no choice. The second part of it is that, like even at the moment, some of the parishes are planning the First Communions and the confirmations that were delayed. But we're actually doing it with a kind of a hesitation because the mood around the country still is that our dates could be cancelled again. Mm-hmm. You know, we could schedule, I have to, at the moment, I'm engaging with our teachers and parents here. I have to schedule five ceremonies of deferred First Communions and Confirmations. But even as we make those plans, there's a sad reality. The government could tell us in two weeks' time that everything's cancelled I know, again. I know. It's it's so hard to plan uh, anything at this stage. And the argument that Eileen in her text put forward about why could you not allow each family have a pew to themselves... You say in your email that can't work because it would just simply increase the numbers of people in the church. And it's not just in the church, it's also the numbers of people who are then going to be outside the church before and after the ceremony. And like the the government regulation at the moment is that only 15 people can gather in an open space. If the church is organising a gathering with 250 people spilling out the church doors into the car park at the one time, it's actually unsafe. Inside in the church, people who live at a normal Sunday Mass at the moment, people who live in the one household can share a pew, but that doesn't necessarily include grandparents. 
in most cases nowadays the grandparents are living that's in other true. houses that's true that's true they're, so not, they, they, they're not all in the, in the one house they're not all in the one yeah, house so they, yeah. they have to occupy another pew and then the other set of grandparents would occupy another pew again so that's a minimum of three pews gone for one family and in no time you'd be looking at a church requiring several hundred pews to accommodate a class with 30 children. And then, as you say, it's when Mass ends and and we've all in the past been at communion and confirmations and weddings and christenings and that wonderful atmosphere outside the church, particularly if the sun is shining and everyone's taking photographs and everybody's chatting with each other. That day is gone, unfortunately, while the virus is, is amongst us. Unfortunately, it is. And, you know, the youngster's instinct, not only the parents, but the youngster's instinct is, you know, to be together, to rejoice, to jump around, to huddle, to take photographs together. Um, I was in one of our schools last week, just after they opened. I had to go in to do a bit of board of management business. But one of the teachers had a job just at, at break time. You know, the youngsters were playing ball and they're instinct was to huddle up six of them fighting for the ball together and the poor teacher trying to explain to them you can't be doing that you know, I know it's I know. really tough and Father um, Tom at the weekly mass uh, how how are you get and particularly the Sunday mass you, you, you're not you yourself or, or other priests you're not getting to the stage where you've got to turn people away are you a few churches have had to put up signs when the capacity of the building is reached as in the capacity with social distancing. Some churches have had to put up signs, unfortunately, and that has caused distress. I know in a few places, I've heard of a couple of places where they've had to do it. Because if the church is small, you see, we have churches, we have a lot of churches across the county that might normally hold, say, 200, 250 people. Mm. With social distancing, the number that you can put into one of those churches can go down to 50 or 60. Mm. And then the people that were used to coming, or people want to come, say, for an anniversary Mass and a month's mind Mass, and they can't be accommodated. That's really difficult and really painful. So parishes are trying to encourage people to come for those Masses, maybe during the week, instead to come to the weekday Masses. And I know some parishes have put on extra Masses, but then every time you put on an extra Mass, you have to have a team of people to sanitize the church. And you have to have a team of people to steward the people coming in and out. And they're all volunteers. They're all volunteers. Parishioners, yeah. Who are, who, Volunteer who? parishioners, members of parish councils and members of parish assemblies and others who have, who have helped out. And in fairness, a lot of people are putting to the shoulder the wheel in that respect. But it's pretty onerous and it's difficult. Nobody likes to be telling somebody, sorry, you can't sit there. I know, I know. And particularly in a place like a church. Just, and, you know, it, again, it goes against their instinct. Some people go into the church and they look at the seat that their parents sat in and that their grandparents sat in and there's a piece of tape across it saying nobody can sit here. I know. I know. It, it really is. It is just so, so difficult. And some churches are streaming. Are they still streaming mass? Yes, they yeah. are. Absolutely. A, a lot of them, a lot of the churches are streaming maybe one or more of the weekend masses so that people can connect. And that's actually been one of the positives, I think, a lot of people have reconnected with their home parishes too, from other countries. Yeah. Um, and maybe countries where there isn't mass available at the minute because of their own local restrictions, they're able to connect back with us. And people at home are able to connect. And some of the younger families have said, look, we let the grandparents go because they really want to be there and they appreciate they've always been going. 
So we'll stay at home and connect up with the prayer remotely while the older people go. So there's a bit of that happening as well. Are you already dreading what it's going to be like at Christmas? It's a nightmare, I'd say. Yeah. Um, not only at Christmas, but we're, you know, at the moment, as a diocese, we're trying to have to figure out what we're going to do, for example, with things like the Holy Souls Novena. Yeah, yeah. Which is a really special time for people to come to church, to come to cemeteries, to come to pray for their loved ones. At the moment, if if things stay as they are, we won't be able to do anything like we have been doing. And, um, you know, there's an awful lot of planning to be done. And, and again... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Part of the challenge of the planning at the minute is that you have to do it in the way that you can be flexible in case things change. You never thought when you became a priest that you'd be trying to work out who can sit in what seats and how many people you can accommodate in the church for the time? Never, never. in a million years did we imagine this. <laughs> yeah. you know, our, it? Like, I remember hearing stories from my mother and father, God rest them, telling me about how when they got married, they went off to Cork and there was five of them, went up to Cork and they had their wedding and they drove back home and missed the cows. <laughs> and there was just five of them in the car yeah, and I never thought that I'd saw a wedding happening like that. I know, but actually, I know. we are seeing weddings like that yeah. now at the moment. Yeah, with yeah. just immediate families, you know. It's, um, it's our so it's our new normal, as is the is the new words that we're constantly talking about. It is our new normal, and it will be our new normal, unfortunately, for some time to come. Listen, it will, and and it, you know, unfortunately, it does mean that a lot of people's expectations and ambitions have to be sacrificed, and that's hard. Yeah. I can understand, you know, parents and youngsters who are so looking forward, especially to these special days, and um, somebody telling them no, that they can't do this and they can't do that. It's very tough, you know. But you're just following the guidelines, that's all you can do. We're Listen, just following the guidelines and we'll do our best to make it as special as possible for the families and especially for the young, young boys and girls as well. Because that's you know, who it's all about. Their day out as well. Okay, listen, we really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us, Father Tom, because we know you're a busy man. Thank you for that. All right, and thanks for joining us. Good morning okay. to you. Bye bye. Right. That is uh, Father Tom Hayes, who is parish priest in Enniskeen, just giving us a breakdown on the reason for all of the restrictions. And, and I know it is heartbreaking. And John Paul and Sadie were saying that they had so many calls in last 
last week from people who were just really, really upset the fact that they wouldn't be able to go to the First Holy Communion Mass of either a grandchild or a godchild or a niece or a nephew and, and people were very upset about it. But uh, don't be blaming the church and don't be blaming the bishop and don't be blaming the parish priest because unfortunately they are just following the guidelines that were issued to them by the government and by Neffet and it's been done uh, to keep us all safe. And I can see some commentary coming in reacting to our piece that we did in the last hour about maternity services and the call to try to ease restrictions in our maternity hospitals and that it is very, very difficult on pregnant mums and on the dads, but particularly, I think, on first-time mothers. Not everybody, though, I have to say, is seeing it from the pregnant mother's point of view. There is a couple of comments in. Liam says there's some people out there who can't have babies. These people need to stop complaining. At least they can have children. That's very unkind and unchristian of you, uh, Liam, I have to say. And I think every woman who gives birth to a baby is very thankful and is very aware that there are other people who unfortunately can't have babies. But I think that's a bit mean-spirited of you to say that about the mums now who just want to have their dads uh, with them. And then, of course, as I knew would happen when we started discussing this today, we have people talking about a different uh, era. Madge says, In my day, men weren't allowed into a maternity ward at any time. They weren't allowed in uh, to visit until after the baby was born and we all survived. Madge says, to be honest, I preferred it that way. And there will be a generation of women listening to us who will agree with you, Madge, on that. And there will be people saying, I wouldn't have wanted my husband anywhere near me. But I think in, I don't know, the last maybe 20 years, is it, where they started welcoming men in and the dads into the wards. I mean, even listening to Caroline, who spoke to us, she's on her third pregnancy and she said, you know, she got great comfort from having her husband with her when she gave birth to her first two children and a lot of parents a lot of mums will say that that they really liked the idea and took great comfort from the fact that their husbands uh, and partners were uh, with them and uh, May says in my mother's day she lost two full term babies and she was sent home with a month of iron tablets my goodness how cruel and uh, I don't know what age what era you're talking about May but I'm assuming it was the era where the baby was just literally taken away from the hospital and buried in the little the pl- what was it the plot of the angels where they were pushed the babies that were born born sleeping and the, the mums were left in the hospital they weren't even there and in some cases they went into unmarked graves that was a very cruel cruel time in this world and I'm glad I'm certainly glad that we've, we've seen the back of that uh, era 1850-333-103 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs A cook slash kitchen manager is wanted. It's for Meals on Wheels in Mallow. While a driver with a full B licence, that's required for a school run in the Mallow area. Construction worker wanted to help trades on a new housing scheme and to clean up around the site. It's in the Canturk area. And a part-time administrator wanted for a logistics company that's in the Butterfield area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie 
forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, parents of children at Cork's first primary school to confirm a COVID-19 case are demanding that they be given more information. Cork City Fine Gael councillor Deirdre Ford said more needs to be done to reassure parents. And uh, Deirdre joins me. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning. No, no, nice to talk to you. And lovely to talk to you as well. Can you start by outlining what information were parents given and in what format did they receive the information about the COVID case? As I understand it, the principal um, cannot give out information. It's the HSE gives out information. And a letter was sent to all the parents and I received one from one of the parents myself, uh, which outlined that a break, uh, no, an outbreak had occurred in the school and advising parents to, you know, be vigilant and that uh, that was it really in, in a nutshell. Um, you must understand that the parents have been told, or at least the principals have been told by the department that they do not have a role in terms of informing people that, you know, they have to leave that to the HSE. So when you say an outbreak, is that one child? Is it a cluster of children? Is it a teacher? Is it an SNA? Is there any information like that given? No, there is not that information. And in fact, teachers are quite stressed about this. I've spoken to a number of principals and they get very clear guidelines and protocols from the department and the HSC. Uh, If a child presents as ill in the school, they have to bring the child to the pod or an isolated area and they have to ring the parents and advise the parents to contact the GP. It's up to the parents then to contact the GP who will advise them to send the child for a test. And if that proves positive, the HSE will contact the school uh, in relation to the pupils that may have been affected. And in this instance, as I understand it, a letter went out to the parents informing of that. Now, I've had parents on to me who were quite happy with this. And I suppose it's unfortunate that the school involved is the first case that we know about because I think it, there was a little bit of panic about it. Mm, mm. It was the first um, the first case here in Cork, even though I was uh, I was doing some research um, earlier on when I knew you were coming on and there's been 54 outbreaks. I mean, there's 4,000 schools have reopened and there's been 54 cases, but none of them, they reckon, were none of the children picked up COVID-19 at school. They were all picked up in the community, but obviously they attended a school, so that school had to be informed. But us here in Cork, we at this stage, we think we still only have um, the one case. But is it is lack of information, Deirdre, leading to unnecessary worries on behalf of the parents? Well, I think we're in, look, we're in very strange territory and there's a lot of stress on everybody. I mean, the principals themselves are hamstrung uh, by GDPR. They're following protocols. I, I've spoken to other principals who have said to me, a little booklet with more specifics as to how they should interact with parents would be very helpful from the HSE. And I've spoken to another principal now, not in Cork, I may add, who um, 
uh, I believe that there was an outbreak in a large factory in the town. And those parents who work in that factory are sending their children to school. And the principals do not know if they have been affected. So it seems to me that there's a little bit of just disjointed communication and everybody is an on edge and trying to do the best they can because obviously parents are encouraged to send their children to school and many of them are desperate to keep their children in school and likewise there are other parents who are extremely nervous about this as are teachers who may have elderly parents that they live with or have very young children themselves so I think there is a role uh, for the HSE to maybe develop uh, communication, particularly for principals, that they could help allay and set out protocols for parents to be quite clear. But I think there's also a role for parents to come back and inform principals if their child is ill. In one instance that I heard of, again, outside Cork, um, a child presented at school and was feeling unwell. And when they queried uh, the child's health, um, the child told the principal that he was given paracetamol earlier in the day oh, at home. Oh. And you see, maybe the parents were anxious that they would not have to stay out of work. You yeah. know, it's very understandable. Yeah, and yeah. The whole area is a little bit fraught. And that's why I actually spoke to a councillor, John Paul O'Shea, last night, whom, as you know, works in the HSE area. Yeah. And he assured me that the way forward for all this is more contact tracing and testing. And to that end, the HSE have, in fact, advertised for part-time uh, and full-time one-year contracts to get people, more people in because heretofore a lot of the people that were doing the contract tracing have now gone some back into their roles, their original roles in the HSE and we need other people now to supplement that. Absolutely. And I think that would help also if a parent or a teacher was alerted to a child who was ill, straight away mechanisms could be um, set up that they would go straight for testing and and response time could be shortened and that would settle the nerves of everyone, you know. Um, there's no easy answer for this and I think, you know, there people are, you know, have to be honourable about this. But there's a lot of people who are afraid to say that they've COVID for fear their job might be in jeopardy. There, there's a sense almost, Deirdre, in some areas that it's almost a stigma. Isn't there? Isn't there a I feeling agree now, with you, Patricia. which which is which to me really worries me, because if if we're going to start stigmatizing people that get COVID nineteen, people are going to hide the fact that they've got symptoms, and that's a real worry. And I think the HSC, to be fair, could come out and perhaps encourage. You know, there is a fine line, you see, between saying you've COVID or being told to say you've COVID and GDPR. You know, because everybody is mindful of that. They don't want to be sued for getting information in the public domain that shouldn't be there. So, you know, while there is that gap, you know, rumour will fan the flames and people get extremely nervous. But to 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 go back to your original point, I think there is mm. that people out there feel they shouldn't say it now for fear they'll be shunned, if you like. And God Which knows, this is a highly contagious virus. None of us know. 
None if of we, us we, know. If we and could I, pick it up. Exactly. And, you know, we have to be ultra careful. I don't think that we can get away from the seriousness of this fact that it is highly contagious. We're going into the winter period and I'm delighted that the HSE is taking on more people for the contract tracing because they will be needed. But ultimately, I don't think we can blame principals or put the pin in their collar and have spent money uh, getting their schools ready and the teachers are fearful themselves. Mm. So they daren't step out of line. And I think that if the HSE could talk with the Principals Association and see if there is a little booklet that could be printed or a special line that parents could talk to the HSE, you know, allowing for the fact that with privacy issues, they can't give specific information. But, but do I, you think if there is an out, if some, if a child test is positive or a teacher or an SNA in a classroom, do you think every parent in that classroom should be informed that there has been an outbreak in your child's classroom? Well, I understand that the children are in pods and for the older children and, you know, the classroom as you speak. And I think that certainly, I think that the HSE should look at, you know, more information along that line. I do think so. Now, I mean, they did send out a letter to the parents in this instance, and the parent that sent me the letter was quite happy with the information that was given, you know, and that every care was being taken in this regard. And only Uh, the children that needed to be contact traced, only their parents were actually individually telephoned. So if you got this letter, it meant your child wasn't near, wasn't any danger, I think was, was, yeah. Yeah wasn't in any danger. But, you know, um, again, I I say to you, there's many aspects to this whole thing. Are parents saying that their children are sick? Are they sending them to school? Um, Are they hoping for the best, which we all are? Um, The teachers themselves are fearful and they're doing the best they can, you know. So I think we all just have to try and work together. Stop the blame game Mm. and just pressurise, I suppose, put a little bit more pressure on the HSC to see if they can respond to the fears of parents. Okay. Okay. And we have to to live with this virus because it is certainly there. It is not going away and we certainly are going to get more cases breaking out in schools and it's just the way that it's all controlled, that that the virus doesn't spread. That's what it's all about, is keeping everybody safe. Dear dear listener, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. That is bye-bye. Cork City, Fine Gael. Uh, Councillor Deirdre Ford. Listen, says Patricia, we all need more transparency regarding COVID information. It would also be helpful to break down the figures into more specific age groups. The students in Cork, for example, have been blamed for not adhering to the rules. Yet the low numbers in Cork are indicative that this age group do not seem to be spreading the virus as their lifestyles haven't really changed since lockdown began. And we're not seeing big clusters of COVID cases here in uh, Cork. Same can't be said, though, about other parts of the country. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. And we're going to Kinsale Garda Station for this week's uh, Garda Fire, where I'm joined by a junior li- juvenile liaison officer, Garda James O'Mahony. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let's start your look. 
looking for appeal for to witnesses for some uh, thefts. Firstly, thefts from a, a vehicle in the Cross Barry area. That's right, Patricia. Uh, three cars were broken into in the Cross Barry area on the 29th and 30th of August. Uh, and uh, we've been 30 years doing this program. I think Patricia are coming up shortly. We are indeed. And unfortunately, the number one crime is theft from cars every week, and this is no different. We had three cars in Cross Barry on the 29th and 30th of August, and of course, the advice is always is take everything away from your car and lock it away in the boot and make it secure. And and locking, it's hard to believe some people are still forgetting to lock their cars. Well, we, we were amazed there recently, if you see some of the cars were broken into, nearly a, a good percentage of them were actually wide open and uh, you, you're inviting trouble at this stage and, and, and criminals unfortunately know that and they're constantly trying for cars and... and, and um, you're giving them a free bet, really. A free yeah, one. and yeah. even though you and I and, and the majority of us are trustworthy and we wouldn't touch anything that didn't belong to us, unfortunately, there'll always be criminals. Well, the criminal fraternity always thinks uh, different than we think, and that's been you know that's logical insofar that they think, what can I get out of this? And, yeah. and they have no morals as regards uh, taking things at all, like none whatsoever. Like, no. Okay, theft mm. of boat engines. That's right. And uh, the twenty eighth of August and the uh, eighth of September, a report that theft of two boat engines were taken while part in the yard of Skull Sailing School. Now, if anyone saw anyone acting suspiciously, please contact a skull guardian, this one, Patricia. That was the 28th of August and the 8th of September. And, of course, this is the season. Just remind everyone that is locked away your sailing equipment and store in a secure place and uh, consider permanent um, property marking on, on items as well, just in case that they're recovered afterwards and, and uh, we find the owners. Like. But that skull on the 28th of August and the 8th of September uh, uh, boat engines, uh, two boat engines taken on, on, on from the Skull Yard. And a trailer was th- taken in Bishopstown. That's right, there was a trailer. Now, this is going to be, um, James has done the crime permission officer around me this morning, but this has only happened this morning, I think, and it was a blue 4 by 4 high side trailer from Bishopstown area. And it, it's throughout the country, this is going to be a phenomenon as well as side trailers being taken and trailers being taken. So, once again, uh, please make sure that your car trailer and, and is, is, is properly locked away and secure as much as possible. But that was in the Bishop's Town area uh, uh, this week. Um, uh, OK. Yeah. And then some burglaries? That's right. On Monday the 31st of August, the Kaledi Bellinhasic, uh, the owner returned home and disturbed two males uh, who ran from the house to an, an, an awaiting vehicle, a red Volkswagen Golf. Now, that left in the direction of Bellinhasic. Now, this occurred at 2.30pm. I would appeal to anyone who have been in the area and, and know, I've seen this red golf or anyone acting suspicious to contact the, the gas station in Bandon. Now, on the same date in Patricia, at, uh, between 2 p.m. and 7 p.m., another burglary took place, possibly maybe the same, uh, uh, same red Volkswagen Golf as well, and that happened this time in the Stuke area of Dunhamour. And again, we're appealing to people there, uh, the, the people who contact us in McCroom, that's anyone suspected acting in the area. At, 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 uh, on the 30, that's the 31st of August, the last day of August. And again, it's a red Volkswagen Golf vehicle with two males in it. OK, if you see it acting suspiciously, yeah. get car registration, get, you know, I keep saying to everybody, we all have phones now on right. cameras on our phones. It's so easy to take a very quick uh, photograph and contact your local guardie. Now, by sheer coincidence, just this morning, I got a text in from a listener uh, to say that they had received the following text message to their phone and they were querying, could it be a scam? And it was to say, a new payee, Mrs. O. Taylor, has been added to your online banking. Don't recognise 
recognise this, please visit and it was payebankofireland.com. Now the listener said, first of all, I don't bank with Bank of Ireland. Yeah. So he's saying, I'm thinking this is a scam. It most definitely is a scam. Is a and scam. this is a new one that's doing the rounds, particularly in West Cork this it week. Is, it is. And, uh, and that's only the Bank of Ireland saying that a new payment customer has been added to your online banking and to click uh, to verify, to click on the link to verify. Do not click on the link. Do not forward the text to anyone. And never, ever give your bank details over the phone to anybody. And this is a that cloning. Um, and this, in this particular case, now during the week, a couple of cases, it was the Bank of Ireland. And your case this morning, Patricia, was it the same Bank of Ireland? Is it? Yeah, Bank of Ireland yeah, as well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So be careful on that one now because they're, 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 uh, they're This is going to be the new phenomenon for a while to come. I'd say just do not uh, click on the link and do not forward the text to anyone. And never give your bank details over the phone to anybody. Yeah, and they're just getting more and more clever every yeah, time with the yeah. wording and all of that. So just be be careful. And they randomly send them out to a whole host of people, hoping that some of the people who receive the text do right. bank with Bank of Ireland, yeah. and they will then start to panic. Now, online loans you yeah, want to no, talk about? On this one, um, uh, a woman received. Uh, uh, she reported that she was deceived of 113 euro while trying to apply for an online loan. Now, the corporate stated that he wanted money in a deposit. She was applying for a loan over the, 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 the obviously, the, the internet. internet. And, uh, yeah. She was applying, and she said he wanted a deposit. He got a deposit, naturally enough, she forwarded on the deposit again uh, uh, to, the, to the, this uh, link. And uh, she was deceived €113. Euro. Uh, he, he told, of course, naturally enough, the money, this is a deposit, uh, you need this deposit, you need to pay it in. And, of course, the money was never entered to our account. Always, Patricia, and again we said it over and over again. Always go to reputable financial institutions for financial assistance. Your your friendly credit union, absolutely best absolutely. place to go. Best place to go. Uh, that you know. Yeah, I heard of uh, somebody. This was now up the country on the, the that scam of trying to borrow money online. And of course, if the offer is too good to be true, it probably is. And she lost close to five thousand. So you just have to be very, very, very careful. But you you are right there, Patricia. What you say is they they are phoning down. There's so many people. They're counting and they're living it out. Naturally enough, they're getting people. Listen, this poor woman now, one hundred thirteen euro got. How many more would a yeah. criminal like that make in a week or yeah. a day? Yeah. And that's the reality of it, you know. Okay. Yeah, all they have to do is get 10 in a day and they've over €1,000. That's a, a nice, very few jobs that you can work at that you get €1,000 for, yeah. your, for your day's work. And you want to give a thank you to members of the public? Yeah, we are, uh, uh, Patricia, and we're here in Kinsale today. But uh, last uh, Saturday, there were a number of incidents of robbery from persons in Kinsale. Now, we would like to thank the members of the public who came forward with information and assistance. Now, two people are before, which is good news, are before the court, so we can't say much more about that, okay. and are charged with uh, these serious offences, and uh, they're before the court, and uh, it, it, we, we really would like to thank uh, the members of the public uh, for, for this uh, very much, uh, because they, they give great assistance for this uh, thing that happened last Saturday in Kinsale. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And leaving cert results weekend parties. Yeah, leaving cert results. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I listen. They had a tough year, Patricia. Let's be honest. The leaving cert of 2020 will be remembered. Uh, yeah. Very, very tough year. Very disturbing year. Now, naturally enough, they're going to uh, celebrate and all that. And with the COVID-19 restrictions and all that, uh, uh, we would plead with them, plead with them, plead with them, plead with them. Please, please. First of all, be careful. Mind yourself. Take care of yourself and uh, keep social distancing and the, the guidelines of social distancing as much as possible. You know, they really, really, we would appeal to them this morning to please 
the COVID restrictions to take responsibility and, and act responsibly. And mind yourself, very, very important. Care, self-care is very, very important. Here. Yeah, you have, many, you have many more years where you will be able you to, have, to, have, to, yes. to celebrate. Yeah. And uh, today is, uh, we mentioned this yesterday on the programme today, let's not forget his World Suicide Awareness Day. That's right, it is. And, and it is. And the reason I, uh, we drew up that is because... Um, uh, I, I've met uh, during the week there, for instance, I met a couple of young people now. Uh, they were caught with these Xanax tablets, uh, um, uh, just a warrant out there that, that seems to have gone very popular for anxiety. Yeah. And a lot of young people self medicate. They're not, they're not prescribed by a doctor, they're not prescribed by a chemist. They're getting they're, they're, these dealers now are dealing them online, getting these tablets uh, for the, the fast fix for anxiety and depression and all that. The only people that you go to find about this is, is to a, a, a doctor and a chemist. And I, I, just a warning there to everybody this morning that's listening, both parents, young people of all ages, of all ages here in this. I just met two during the week, Patricia, just to give you an example, a 17-year-old uh, girl and an 18-year-old boy, and they were taking these tablets without any prescriptions, without any assistance at all. Uh, they were taken for anxiety and, and using the world mental health and, and, and mental health in general. And it is, uh, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a problem going forward. It is a problem already, I think, out there, Patricia. But I also think it's going to be a problem going forward. And buying that, that, that type of medication online comes with another worry, James. You, you don't actually know what's in those tablets. Absolutely not. And that is the frightening thing about this. And, and the two people I met, I posed that question to them because they were caught with these tablets uh, by the, the drugs unit. And like, they, they had the clue of side effects. They were just looking at me gobsmacked, if I should be honest with you. No idea of, oh God, this could have happened. And when I point out a few things that could have happened to, to see it, then they realised what they were doing was totally and utterly wrong and it was the wrong avenue to go. How dangerous it can be. All right, yes. okay. And we have, as I mean, Kinsale as well. Today is the 10th anniversary of Kinsale Youth Support Service. Ten years ago, it started... It, is it, it ten years? Ten years. Uh, we <laughs> started this very date in Acton's Hotel. Wow. So uh, just to let everybody know out there, not long Kinsale, but other areas as well, being World uh, Suicide Prevention Day. Listen, the word with the slogan that's down here in Kinsale, we can say, uh, take care, help is there, and help is there for everybody. And okay. that, that's really positive. Um, on, on that positive note we'll end listen have a good week James and thank you for joining us thank you very much good Patricia. morning to you that is a junior liaison officer Garda James O'Mahony based at Kinsale Garda Station this is Court Today Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Court's greatest hits C103 you're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Your pet questions coming into us, please, because Jane, our resident vet, will join us after half past 12 today. Something wrong with one of the animals in your house, Jane, might be able to help you out. 1850-333-103 or you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And of course, you can always email the programme, Patricia, at c103.ie. And we've had a gorgeous email in from Margaret in uh, Donnerell to the programme uh, this morning. And she is writing to us about the picture of John Joe. Do you remember the gentleman from Galway? We were talking about him yesterday. His picture had gone viral the day before. He had gone for a his lunch in the middle of the day, I think, his dinner in the middle of the day and a couple of pints of Guinness to McGinn's pub in Galway. 
and the owner or a staff member in McGinn said, do you mind if I take a picture of you, John Joe? Because there was a picture of him just sitting there on his own with his half-eaten dinner and his half-pint of Guinness and he's staring out the window. And they put it up on social media, not expecting the reaction they got, but there was a massive reaction to the picture and everybody, because in the picture was a little alarm clock, a little battery-operated alarm clock that John Joe had brought with him and it was sitting on the table and everybody assumed it was he was timing out his one hour and 45 minutes and he didn't want to get into trouble with the guards, etc. And McGinn's, the pub themselves, said they were inundated with people contacting them to say that they'd love to buy John Joe a pint and people were talking about the loneliness of the photograph and the heartbreak of the photograph and is this what we've come to? Now we've subsequently found out that John Joe had the clock with him because that's his watch, that's he doesn't wear a watch, he carries a clock in his pocket and he wanted to be home in time for the six o'clock news. That's why he had the clock on at the table. Anyway, it's about that photograph that Margaret writes to us this morning. It's just, hello Patricia. Uh, I was following the photo of John Joe and his clock with very keen interest. The frenzied online commentary was at times hilarious and sad. Every comment told their side of what they were looking at. Maybe it pricked their conscience a bit because Patricia, this image is replicated all over Ireland and it was replicated long before COVID-19. How many times will people like John Joe be invisible? While people rush to get back to rushing again, do they not see that the simple enjoyment of a pint will be denied because people like John Joe uh, may again be asked to go back to cocooning? When I first saw the photograph, I saw a picture of contentment. It's something I like to do myself. Find a window seat, get a cup of coffee and watch the world go by for a while. Sit and be still. There's nothing like it. Maybe the people who rang McGinn's pub offering to buy John Joe a pint should look around their own area and see all those people who are invisible to them. The grand gesture makes them puff out their chests as they take to social media to announce, I paid for a pint for that poor man. Like John Joe himself said, I like to pay my own way. Take a leaf out of Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinner's book and get doing things that help. Then again, that takes commitment and time. For many, it's the grand gestures and then they simply move on. Anyway, Patricia, that's my rant for this Thursday. Just remember, never make assumptions. And it's not just rural Ireland that you'll find loneliness. The loneliest place you can be is in a crowd where you truly are invisible. Well, that's great piece, uh, Margaret. And yes, you are so right. There are John Joes all over the country and John Joes existed long before COVID because even when John Joe was tracked down by the media and there was a lot of interviews, I read a lot of interviews on various papers, various journalists contacted uh, John Joe. He wouldn't give his age when he'd say that he's he's in his 80s but he wouldn't say exactly what, what age he is and he didn't know what all the hoo-ha was about. He went, he was glad to be able to go for his dinner and his couple of pints but he didn't know what the hoo-ha was about and he's probably been doing the same thing for many, many years but there would have been a time when he was cocooning where he wouldn't have been able to have done it. Thank you Margaret, that's a really good email to Patricia at c103.ie and we hope you keep him well. Okay, some of your texts coming into the programme on issues we've been addressing today. Just listening to your show, says this anonymous texture about the situation in our schools in relation to COVID. I believe the whole class should be informed if there is a case of COVID-19 as the word pod is just a nice little term on paper to say five or six kids are sitting at a table together. Nothing different to any other year my daughter has attended school. A sink was installed or a press removed does not take away from the fact that Irish schools in a lot of cases are overcrowded and classes are split and in my girl's case her class size has grown 
by over 10 due to a lack of a teacher. Class sizes have not been dealt with. My child is now in a room with 39 children. One teacher and two SNA staff members. The kids all go out into the yard together playing with the whole class without any restrictions and not just the kids in their pod. So if a case is in a COVID-19 positive case is in my child's class, I would like to know. And then I would prefer to make the decision on what I see as safe for my child and my family members. Anyone can get this virus so there shouldn't be any shame related to it and that's simply signed uh, anonymous and thank you for that and I think a number of parents are reacting that way and are making decisions that keeps them and their families because you see nobody knows what's going on at home in a family you don't know if there's a very vulnerable medically very vulnerable person living there and that obviously brings huge levels of concern to a family who's sending a child into a school and then they hear that the school has a COVID-19 case. And I think you sum up what a lot of parents have been saying. They just want more information. But the school's hands are tied. There's all this GDPR and breach of privacy and they can't, there's only so much information that they, they can give out. But I think in the main, parents want to be kept informed. You know, it's got nothing to do with privacy or pointing fingers of blame at anyone. They just want the information so that like this mother here, our father could be, I'm assuming it's a mother, but it could be a father. They can make the decision themselves for their own family pod, if you want to call it a family pod, and decide for themselves whether they'll send the child to school or not. But you are so right. There is no shame. But it is It's something I brought up with Deirdre Ford because I've been noticing that. And particularly you can see it on social media as well and talking to people. It almost seems like the shame attached. People are terrified of getting COVID-19 for fear of the shame of it, which really is absolutely crazy and to me is a big worry. Somebody else says people who put themselves forward for COVID-19 testing are to be praised, not shunned in any way, since not alone are they watching out for themselves but they're also, by going forward for testing they're watching out for the rest of us as well. We all need to remember it could be any one of us tomorrow or the day after. It is wonderful to hear younger people uh, especially say that they would hate to be the cause of other people, especially the elderly getting it. As for knowing and wanting more information on who and the location of the disease concerns me as any of us could be a carrier unknowingly and the cause of COVID-19 appears anywhere and a case of COVID-19 appears anywhere at any time. We should not need a local alert to be alert. And that's a good point. That really is a good point. It's like that argument that our one statement, one of our Neffet team, one of the various doctors and professors who, you know, tell us how we should and shouldn't be reacting at the moment said we should treat everyone as if they have COVID-19. We should treat everyone as if they were contagious. And by doing that, you'll socially distance distance from that person. And if we can keep that in our minds all the time, because you never know, come of the day, come of the hour, none of us know when we're going to be in contact with somebody with COVID-19 and we never know if we would be unlucky enough uh, to pick it up. But there is absolutely zero shame in it. Mag said we need to treat the virus like the wild animal it is. Would you go into a field if there was a raging bull inside it or if there was a lion's den? 
would you walk into it? No, you wouldn't. So if that's, yeah, and that's sort of, if you go somewhere where you are feeling a little bit uncomfortable and there's too many people, what do you do? You move away. Because we had a call in, thank you for that, Mags. We had a call in from Eleanor to say she was at a car boot sale last Sunday. She reckoned there was at least 400 people there and about 50 traders. Now it was an indoor and outdoor car boot sale so there was no social distancing uh, going on. Now she said the organisers did take telephone, name and telephone number of everyone who was in attendance for contact tracing reasons and people were wearing masks. But she said during the car boot sale while she was there a member of Ungarda Shia Kona walked in and actually said this shouldn't be happening there's too many people there yet it wasn't shut down and Eleanor said what annoyed her was she said I can't go to my granddaughter's communion because of the rules and regulations that we spoke about earlier but yet I can go to a big event uh, like that so we contacted Castletown Roach car boot organisers and they confirmed to us they said not there wasn't 400 they said there was up to 220 people at the event but that wasn't including the people who were working on the stalls at any one time so that I suppose would have brought it up to about uh, 400 they did take phone numbers of people entering the event for contact tra- tracing and they did confirm that the Gardaí did come to the event and said it shouldn't be going ahead but they were happy that people were adhering to social distancing but they didn't have the powers to shut it down uh, either. Stalls were spread out accordingly so the organisers did the best that they could. They did have hand sanitising stations uh, there but because of the number of people who turned up to the event last week they have decided that they are postponing further car boot sales for the time being until the regulations change. Okay, so well done, well done and they, you know, in fairness to the organisers it looked like they tried to put everything in place as they could and again it goes back to individual responsibility, doesn't it? It's up to all of us to socially distance and if you think somebody's getting a little bit too close to you and that person isn't going to move then it's up to you to move out of the way uh, you yourself and look after yourself that's all we can all uh, do but anyway Castletown Roach car boot sale they have decided to postpone and we will let you know if we get any update on that Uh, Joan this was a question for Father Tom but unfortunately I didn't get to it in time my apologies uh, Joan but it's a, a topic that's worth mentioning Joan says that at the Sunday Mass she attends in West Cork she claims there is a man in the church who holds five or six seats for his friends. And sometimes then they don't even show up to Mass. Surely he can't hold seats in a church, can he? This man seems to think he owns the church. Well, what I would suggest you do, Joan, is I would have a chat with your parish priest and explain what's going on. I mean, in all churches, it's first come, first served certainly at the moment with the numbers and the limitation on the numbers. That's how the majority of churches are being organised. I mean, they do have stewards. They will show you uh, to a seat. Some of the churches are doing, I don't think all, I don't know if all churches are in stewarding, but I know some of them are. But that's the first time to think that a man, you, and I don't know, have you challenged him to say, what are you doing holding up five to six seats uh, for friends? And then how frustrating is it, as you say, when sometimes they don't turn up? I would suggest having a chat with your parish priest and point out what is going on and see if the parish priest 
can have a word with this particular gentleman. 1850 Some more of your calls in. I think they should, this is Michael, I think they should sh- shut down lockdown. Dublin and Limerick. The virus isn't going to go away unless we close down and lock down the counties where it is highest at the moment and it's Dublin and Limerick uh, at the moment. John says we can't bury people properly but we can keep meat factories going. People are just going to start ignoring some of the rules and regulations and get on with their lives. The people in government have too much power. The rules keep changing. Well, John, in fairness to the government, the rules have to keep changing as we find out more and more about coronavirus and as like areas like we're doing so well here in Cork. So they'll ease restrictions. But then, you know, that could change next week. We could be looking at a very different picture in Cork. And if that's the case, then maybe restrictions will have to be introduced. So, so you know, we can knock the government for a lot of things, but I don't think we can knock them for the changing of the rules because they have to keep changing and updating the rules. And another John says we have to learn to live with this virus and simply get on with life. The rules and regulations put forward by the government in Neffet have crippled sporting events closed down all of the pubs yet they left restaurants reopen and some of them were breaking the rules we need to get on with it the meat factories and the nursing homes need to be constantly testing and we're going in a couple of minutes actually be focusing on the meat factories because this is a story that was broken by the Irish Farmers Journal and the news that the HSE has paused the blanket testing on meat factory workers which certainly to me is a huge huge concern we'll be discussing that in a few minutes The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council support Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Drive in bingo is continuing tonight in Theo Park, half past seven. You're asked to please wear a mask. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day and Charleville Suicide Awareness Group are asking people to light a candle, please, in remembrance of all those who've passed away and for their families and friends. Kildallery Community Development have got their lotto draw in Kildallery Community Office this afternoon at four. This week's jackpot is €2,400 and tickets are available from local outlets. An Annam Cara support group for bereaved parents will return to their group meetings. Now, with safety measures in place, it's happening next Tuesday, the 15th of September, the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon at 7.15. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, yesterday was the Irish Farmers Journal who broke the story that the HSC have paused the blanket testing of meat factory workers for COVID-19. Amy Ford is the Deputy News Editor of the Irish Farmers Journal and Amy joins me. Good afternoon to you, Amy. Hi, Patricia. Thanks now, for having me on. Well, listen, you're very welcome. How did you become aware that the HSC was pausing the testing at meat factories? Yeah, so my colleague Hannah Quinn Mulligan has a story in this week's Farmers Journal on this issue um, and she's seen emails um, that were sent from the HSE to a number of factories uh, on Tuesday evening of this week. Um, and those emails said that uh, the testing was being paused for the minute um, due to resource issues. So that comes back to, uh, you know, the uptake in uh, the virus in the general population that was putting uh, testing services under pressure on, on the whole system. So that was why the decision then was taken to um, post or to pause um, the blanket and serial testing of, of workers in meat factories. What has the reaction of meat factories been to this news? 
Yeah, so um, Cormac Healy there of Meat Industry Ireland, the body that represents factories around the country, the majority of factories, um, has said that, um, you know, he hasn't really commented on, on the pausing of it, but he said that a full round of, of testing has almost been completed. And, and as we went to print yesterday, um, of the results back of 12,700 tests, the positive rate was 0.26%. That's in around 33 people, I think, if my maths is right on that, <laughs> which would te- which tested positive, which he said is an extremely good outcome. So he, that's what he said on that one. Because the serial testing programme was only launched last month, wasn't it, by Micheál Martin, the Taoiseach? Yeah, that's right. It was launched um, after the, the local lockdown, people remember, in the three counties around the Midlands, Leash, Offaly and Kildare, after a number of clusters were identified in certain plants there. And then it was said it, it had started serial testing um, plants in those counties. I think there's 14 or 15 overall in those three counties. And then it was announced that it would, it would go nationally, that it would it would, it would test um, the thousands um, of, of meat factory workers um, around the country. So now it's been paused um, for the minute. And I think, you know, when when that announcement was made last month by the Taoiseach, I think it gave comfort to both, obviously, the factory workers and the management, but also, I think, to the wider population, uh, Amy, to know that this testing was going on. Yeah, definitely. Look, there there was there were a number of clusters identified and, and you know, testing did take place then and the serial testing was announced, which does give um, that comfort, as you say, Um but I think you kind of have to highlight there that you know the 0.26 positive rate um, is a, is a, is a good outcome as as um, Cormac Healy said, um, and it, it'll be interesting when testing does come back um, in the serial the serial testing side of things does come back. So we understand that the HSE is to talk to meat factories later this week. Um, I understand today or tomorrow um, on where it'll go next from here. So it's not clear whether or when, how, uh, sorry, it's not clear when the serial testing will start up again as it's been paused. There's, there's no date at, at the moment and as we know with the outbreaks in Dublin and uh, in Limerick and it, there's going to be more and more needs for testing in the general population so that wouldn't bode well for serial testing to, to start back again at the meat factories. Um, no, it wouldn't. I suppose we have seen the, the jump in cases there, especially in Dublin, and uh, there is a bit of concern over those numbers. I suppose um, that 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 numbers have gone up again, and you know, um, testing services clearly are under pressure if they are pausing these these serial tests in in meat factories. So it'll, the next couple of days, I suppose, will tell a lot. And I suppose that's what Dr. Ronan Glynn has been saying that this week. I suppose that. Um, the test results for this week on on number of cases, etc., will tell a lot over the next couple of days, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Um, obviously, everyone is hoping that that cases stall or or decrease, but um, you know, none of us can tell the future, and we can only wait and see what happens from here. Okay, and people can read more about that uh, in this week's Irish Farmers uh, Journal. Listen, Amy, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Amy Fort, who is the Deputy News Editor at the Irish Farmers Journal. Can I stay on a farming topic? Because there was a call in from Mary, who lives in a village. And close by the school in the village, there is a farmer who has to use the road and the footpath to as a cow crossing and Mary says the footpath gets absolutely destroyed in cow poo and now that the children are back to school she said she's seen and witnessed some of the school children end up walking in it she said she knows it's illegal to allow your dog 
to poo on the footpath and that you have to clean up after your dog. And we've God knows we talk about that enough on the programme. But she said, what about cows? Is that illegal? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure it probably is. It's a kind of pollution, isn't it? It's a kind of littering of a sorts. Is the farmer expected, though, every time his cows are taken out, and I'm assuming it's for milking, is it that the cows are taken out and cross from one field to and has to go across a footpath to get to another field to get to the milking pile? Or is that what's going on? Is it up to the farmer to go out every day, every time the cows are out on a field or, or out on the road or a footpath? If anyone from the farming community can tell us, is it illegal or is the farmer expected to clean up after the cows every time they're out on a public roadway or on a public footpath? 1850 333 I'll keep your pet questions coming into us, please, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, is going to be joining us in a couple of minutes. So if you have a pet question, get it in. We've been speaking about the pausing of the blanket testing on meat factories. The texter says, are workers in factories being temperature tested instead of COVID testing? Surely that would be a minimal cost to everybody concerned. I know on some of the plants early on when there was outbreaks at some of the plants, I know that that certainly was going on. Management had introduced their temperature check being taken. Is it still happening? I don't know. We'll look into it and we'll see if we can find out. But that there certainly would be a minimal cost for that. And there are some businesses already doing that when you walk in. I know I was in um, a Weedle's chemist in Mallow. I went to walk in and they have one of the temperature ones at the door. You know, where you... It's almost like you're having your photograph taken and they were able to tell me that my temperature was fine and I thought that was great and there are some shops doing that and I know when Marsha, my daughter, goes back to her day services. She's got one day next week where she goes back. She will have her temperature checked every single morning, as will all of the staff. So a lot of businesses are doing that as well. It's the least you would expect that's happening at the meat factories, uh, says uh, a listener. 1850 Another listener says, it maddens me, Patricia, to see a customer in a shop. It's a shop in Mill Street. Every single morning, the same customer comes into the shop and this person it's a gentleman is where it has his mask on which you have to do now when you're going into a shop but he wears it under his nose surely that is no good it's absolutely useless it's useless the whole idea of the face mask is you have to have your nose and your mouth covered so yeah it is useless could you have a word with him if you're coming across him every morning could you just have a general socially distanced chat with him and point it out to him. I've seen it myself. I have seen people uh, walking around and they, the mask will slip down and they leave. And I know it can be hard to breathe in the mask. I certainly find them really difficult, but I've ne- I do not go anywhere into any shop without a mask on. But I do find them hard to tell you. And I'll let you know when I get them as to how they work. A friend of mine told me yesterday, because we were talk- discussing masks and I was saying I find it hard, particularly in the supermarkets. You know when you're doing the big shop, find it really, really difficult in the weather. It's been a bit muggy and hot and all that. But anyway, I put up with it, but I don't, I don't really like it. And she told me about a thing that's called a face bracket and it's a piece of plastic 
almost moulded like the shape of your face and you put that on your face and you put the mask on over it and she says she got some online last week she said they're absolutely fantastic and she swears by them so I went online yesterday and I've ordered them I'm due to receive them next week I will let you know how I get on with them but she says it makes breathing an awful lot easier and you know that with some of the masks when you're talking that the mask gets sucked into your mouth and that can be really annoying and of course that's how the mask can get wet on the inside and you were all told it's of no use to you if it gets wet and to get uh, rid of it so I'll let you know how I get on with these face brackets I don't know if anybody else has gotten one and are you using them and if you are I'd love to know if they're on sale locally if they are good we'll try and find out if they're on sale locally because I prefer to shop local than having to go online but I couldn't it was just I found out about these yesterday and the only way I could source them was on uh, line 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. We are in particular now looking for your pet questions. Please, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me this morning. Good morning. Or good afternoon. She is at this stage. Good afternoon, Jane. Good afternoon. Uh, you're very welcome. I had an email in. Now, I don't know if it is, dire- I'm assuming it's directly related to you or another vet at the practice, but somebody contacted us. Uh, it was actually after the slot last week to say, your resident vet is the best. Jelly Bean has totally unpronounceable disease and the vets at Mill Street <laughs> have kept her alive and happy now for 10 years. Jelly Bean wants yeah. to say thank you. Do you know who Jelly Bean is? I do indeed. Oh, that's, that's so lovely. Thank you so much for that lovely comment. What, it really means the world to us. What is the condition that Jelly Bean has? Pro- proxy? Oh, I, unfortunately, I, I wouldn't be able to discuss it just to kind of maintain okay. confidentiality. All right, okay. Jelly Bean's a, a, love, a lovely little dog altogether. All right, and, and, and doing well after 10 years. Seems which, to be. Which is fantastic. And that's the aim, that's the aim of the game. Okay, and well, well happy, done. To, happy and healthy. Okay, it's just I can't pronounce what the, I can't pronounce the, the condition that the dog has. But anyway, thank you to the owner, Jellybean uh, as owner, for sending that on. Uh, we're glad to give it a mention. Okay, let's get straight into questions that are coming in today. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking calls. Or you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Mary says, would Jane have any natural flea preventative that I could use on my Labrador a natural flea preventative um, the long and short answer to that is uh, there are many natural flea preventatives out there but they don't work yeah um, yeah I, I suppose the important thing is I know we always want to be very careful with everything we apply to our pet and everything we feed to our pet because like ourselves you know body is a temple um, you need to take care of it the one thing I would say is to anybody who kind of considers using natural therapies or homeopathic medicine in their pets, that it, it can sometimes be more of a hindrance than a help. Um, I think, first of all, we need to make sure everything we're, we're doing, particularly for something as important as preventing fleas, is going to be effective. Now, as I say, there's lots of kind of um, home remedies that might be kind of purported to, to be effective in preventing fleas. But we don't really know if any of those work. And in my experience, they don't. Um, The safest thing to do is to get a reputable product from either your vet or your pharmacist. Because we have access to the products that, let's say, wouldn't be available in in other outlets. And they will be the ones that would have gone through the most rigorous testing. So we know that they're really safe. Mm. But really, most importantly, they're they're really effective. 
And I think as well, just along that line, to go off on a bit of a tangent, um, one thing I would say with using any kind of natural or homeopathic remedies in dogs and cats is that we don't know if a lot of these things are actually safe in our animal friends. And we also have no idea as to what doses might be safe. So really, it's something I, I, I wouldn't advise embarking on because just because of the safety issue. Yeah, it's like the thing when you hear sometimes of people using human drugs on an animal you know, a paracetamol exactly. or a neurofen because they think they're in pain. You just never know. And, you know, exactly. and, and then you'd have to live with if you did major damage uh, to your animal. I always think with flea uh, control, back in the day when I used to be the mad cat woman and had a household of cats, <laughs> you keep on top of it. If once you keep on top oh. of it, you will never have a problem with fleas. Absolutely. And I think particularly with things like fleas and particularly cat fleas as well, they are clever little creatures, fleas. So you need to keep on top of them so that you're preventing them on an ongoing basis. So that may mean either a product monthly or every three months. It really depends on the product you're using. So speak to your vet about the regime for the product that you have. Now, the really important thing is once you get a flea infestation, it is so hard to get rid of it. Not impossible, but it's a real it's a real pain. So it's really much, much better to prevent it. Yeah. This is speaking as somebody who's dealt with lots of people who would have had flea infestations in their house. Trust me. No matter the, how much the preventative cost, it is relatively cheap in comparison to having to, to fumigate your house yeah. and put sprays all over the place and wash everything they've come into contact with. And they have to be treated on an ongoing basis as well because flea eggs are actually really interesting. They're so, so robust. It's almost like they live in a little metal tank. They're, you know, so resistant to um, disinfection and environmental changes in temperature. They're really, really smart little creatures, flea. So we need to be equally smart in return to try and uh, to try and prevent them. Okay, seems to be a lot of questions coming in about cats today. How soon after having kittens can a female cat be neutered, wonders Mary in Clonakilty. Okay, so I think definitely the right decision getting neutered is the is absolutely the the most responsible decision to reduce our kind of ongoing um, cat population increase. After they have kittens, you need to make sure that the kittens are weaned. And normally that will happen naturally. The mum will start doing that over a four to six week period after they've given birth. Now, what I would say is I would always recommend after they've given birth and after the kittens are weaned, pop your little cat into uh, into the into the vet for a checkup so arrange a checkup before you go ahead and book the spay we want to get in a little window where all of let's say the the milk glands the mammary glands will have settled down enough so that the surgery wouldn't be traumatic but also we want to get in in the window before they get pregnant again and cats are incredible they can get pregnant again incredibly quickly so the best thing i would say is as soon as the kittens are weaned ring your vet, have a chat with them. They may most likely want to see the cat in just to examine it, to examine its belly as well, where the where the milk glands were to check that they're kind of going down at a at a normal rate and that everything looks normal there and they'll be able to guide you as to as to booking in surgery. But okay. I really I w- I wouldn't sit on it. I'd have a chat to your vet and, and get it booked in ASAP. The best thing you can do for yourself and for your beloved cat as well. Okay, uh, listener says, my cat breaks out in a very sore rash all over. It comes in patches several times a year. Trip to the vet, she ends up on steroids and antibiotics. She's 13 years of age. She's gotten very cranky. Is there any other way that it can be dealt with other than steroids? And I don't know why the listener doesn't want to use steroids and whether the crankiness is related to the steroids or not. I don't know. What would your advice be? This is a really difficult one. My heart goes out to you because the last thing we want our pets to be is uncomfortable or itchy. Um, and I know that skin disease, particularly if it's something ongoing, can be really frustrating both for your pet and, and for yourselves as the pet carer. 
What I would say is that it sounds like something's going on that's causing these flare-ups. A number of things can cause little flare-ups and little bumps like that that are quite itchy. Um, sometimes it can be infection. Sometimes it can be infestation with a flea or a mite or a lice. Or sometimes it can actually be that that pet is allergic to something in the environment and their skin barrier isn't quite normal. So it overreacts to things that are normal in the environment. Um, I think either way, certainly it sounds like you're doing a good job of trying to control the symptoms. And a lot of the time we'll use steroids or other anti-itching medication to try and calm down the inflammation in the skin and calm down the itch. Because in the end of the day, our main kind of priority is quality of life and comfort. So we need to deal with the symptoms. It does sound like you need to revisit your vet again, have a chat with them and let them let them know what's going on. Work closely with them because they may need to, to do further diagnos- diagnostics to get to the bottom of what's causing these episodes. So I think trust your vet. I know skin can be quite frustrating if it's a chronic issue, but sometimes we just need to work through a diagnostic process, get to the bottom of it and tackle it. The other thing is with steroids, there are a number of anti-itching medications available of which steroids are some. Now, steroids do have some side effects, um, things like lots of drinking, a little bit more panting than usual, particularly when they're used in dogs. But with us, when we're choosing a medication, it's always on balance, so everything is tailored to that pet. If you don't feel it suits your pet, or if you have any concerns, speak Say to the vet. Yeah. Um, and when, and when, when this listener says you know, that the cat is getting cranky, do cats mm. get cranky when they're older or is that an indication that there's something going on? Potentially it might be an indication that something's going on or there might be a source of pain or, or indeed irritation. And if there is this ongoing skin issue, that you can imagine yourself if you had, you know, sore, itchy skin, the yeah, layering, horrible. that'd make me a little bit cranky. Um, so I think potentially sorting that issue initially, but keeping an open mind, particularly as we get pets that are going into their more advanced years, we need to bear in mind that there might be more complex issues playing into playing into a change in behaviour like crankiness. So raise that with your vet and have a chat to them and I'm sure they'll be able to help you get to the bottom of it. Kathleen is worried about feral cats in her area. She's heard of people who are trapping and killing the cats. She said, surely there is another way. How do you get rid of feral cats in an area? That's a real tough one. So that is a real tough one. I think the main thing that we can do on a, on a single person level is make sure that all of our own cats that we have as pets or farm cats on the farm um, are spayed and neutered because that means that we're not helping the population of feral cats to increase, okay? So on a personal level, that's one thing we can all do. There are programs that are trap, neuter, release programs and maybe a little bit of a source of confusion. I'm not familiar with any such programs where, let's say, people are trapping and killing cats. I'm not aware of that myself. But I am aware that there are trap neuter release programs going on. And there's a number of charities around the country that get involved with that. Um, and essentially what happens with those is um, a charity may go into an area, trap the feral cat. They will be brought to a vet and, and we will perform, let's say, the neutering surgery. And then they will be released back out to their environment. But it means they were controlling the population of cats because they can no longer reproduce. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of confusion there, but as I say, I, I'm not aware of any any such programs where there be less yeah. trapping and euthanasia at the moment. Yeah, and of course that all goes back to those of us that do have cats, new to your cats, new to your cats, exactly. and don't have any uh, stray cats uh, running around the place. Here's one: my dog is growling and looking up at the sky. It's happening every morning. Why, what would be causing that? Growling and looking up at the sky. The sky. That's a little bit of an unusual one. And and I I assume that this pet is otherwise happy and healthy and is behaviourally normal otherwise. Um, maybe just have a have a consider of has anything changed in the environment? 
or has anything changed in your own morning routine? Because I suppose cats and dogs are particularly sensitive to change, change that we might not even notice. Um, whether there's something upsetting it or whether it's just a, an unusual behaviour. I think as long as, let's say, the dog's behaviour is otherwise normal, he's happy, healthy, doesn't know other signs of illness, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. But it's, it's certainly an unusual one. Yeah, and of course, dogs hearing, they hear a lot more than we hear. It could be something they he's do. hearing, isn't it, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and that's what I say, like a, a change in environment, if there's any new sounds in the environment or anything moved around or changed, they're super sensitive to any of that, whether it be sight, smell, hearing, they'll notice things we wouldn't yeah. ever notice in a million years. So it could be something really tiny. Okay, listen, have a lovely week and we'll chat to you next Thursday. Thanks, Thanks for that. A Thanks a million. That's bye-bye. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That dog that's barking and staring at the sky, maybe they're seeing aliens, maybe they are. That's where I leave you. Thanks to John Paul and Sadie. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.